All right, this is going to be lesson number five in hermeneutics. We're going to be looking at the Spirit and the Scriptures. Let's take our text in 1 Corinthians chapter number two. 1 Corinthians chapter number two. Verse number nine. As it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of a man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man the Spirit of God. Verse 14, But the carnal, natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto them, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Chapter 16 says, We have the mind of Christ. We look at all of these things, and we know that the Bible is more than just a normal book. We looked last, less, in our last lesson and saw the Bible is a supernatural book. It is supernaturally given to us. It has been supernaturally um, preserved. It has been uh, has supernatural power to be used of the Spirit of God to open our minds and our hearts and lay them bare to show us who and what we are, to convict us of sins and even to convert us because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If it's a spiritually given book, spiritually preserved book, and a spiritually guided and directed book and applied, well, it's also going to be a spiritually understood book. And I look at John chapter number 16, <laughs> excuse me, verses 12 through 15. And Jesus said, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. Chapter 3, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Jesus says, so there are things I want to tell you, but you can't handle it now. You look at the end of Hebrews chapter 5, and what does he say? There are some things we need to tell you about. Deep things, meaty things of the Word, but you're slow of hearing. Your ears are sluggish. Your minds can't comprehend it. You're babes and you need milk still instead of strong meat. But Jesus says, how be it? Even though I have these hard things that you can't bear, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, or he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath of mine, therefore said I that he shall take of mine and show it unto you. If you and I are going to understand Scripture, we're going to have to have the guidance of the Spirit. The Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. They're revealed to us by the Spirit. Our, um, that's why we have the Bible. The Bible is a work of revelation. By the Spirit, God revealed himself and truth to men. By the Spirit, God guided men so that what they wrote was 
His words. That's the process of inspiration and inscripturation. Ephesians 1, Paul prayed for the Ephesians that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. The Spirit then enlightens us. We already have revealed truth within the Scripture. Our minds, though, need enlightenment. We need the eyes of our understanding. Notice what he said the Spirit would do. He can't bear some things, but he'll guide us into all truth. And you think about this because most of us have children or have raised children. You think about a child. Paul told, spoke to the Corinthians in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians and the Hebrews in the latter part of chapter 5 about being babes, unable to man manage strong meat. They needed milk. What do you start with your child on? How do you start a child? You start them with the milk. Maybe a little while later you put a little rice cereal ground up into that milk, thicken it up. Then you begin to give them the baby food. And you move up to solid foods and then they get some molars in their mouths to where they can really handle good meat. But you don't shove a steak in their mouth at two days old. You don't do it at six months old. But rather you guide them from step to step. And that's what he says that the Spirit was sent to do. Not only was he leading and guiding according to 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 16 through 21 and 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, in the process of directing as he revealed himself to men and truth to men, and he bore them along and guided them so that they would write the right things and only the right things and all the right things that we needed. He was intimately involved in that, but he also guides us by helping us little by little to understand. He's going to reveal truth and Give prophecies. All of these things we're talking about, first of all, the um, giving of the scriptures, the inspiration and inscripturation of the Bible. But our text also speaks about enlightenment. We look in 1 Corinthians 2 again, and what do we need? We can't handle ourselves the things of the Spirit of God. By His Spirit, He's revealed them to us in His Word, but how are we going to know them? Verse 11, by the Spirit. Because that's how we're going to know them in verse 12. By the Spirit, the Spirit of God. The Holy Ghost teaches, verse 13, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. He takes one spiritual thing here, another spiritual thing there, helps us to put them together so that we have a, a putting together or an understanding, a comprehension. Naturally, we don't do this. In our sins, we don't do this. We have to have the Spirit of God. We can have great academic knowledge of Scripture and never know the object of Scripture, the subject of Scripture, both of which are Jesus. One can have great abilities and great intellect, and yet sin can always and will always hinder him from learning the message that he needs to learn. There's a man at, um, excuse me, Duke, I think it is, University. And uh, maybe there's a school of divinity over that away. And he's there, New Testament professor. 
but he's an unbeliever. He writes books about, especially about the New Testament and the four Gospels, seeking to, in, in the words of skeptics, to debunk them, to show all the errors. He teaches those things. He has a great, great knowledge of the letter of the New Testament scriptures. And if you were to ever listen to him, you'd realize he doesn't know the Bible. There's a difference between knowing the letters and knowing the Bible, knowing the book, and getting the message. And so we always have to have the Spirit of God because flesh gets in the way. We need to be enlightened. We need to have understanding. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8 tells us the carnal mind is enmity with God or against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither um, indeed can be. It's, it's a rebellious thing. My mind is a rebellious mind. And I'm going to have to have the Spirit of God to guide me, to direct me, to enable me to learn. I can't do that on my own. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. There's an interesting statement made about us when we're born again. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says that we in the new birth have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Adam was made in the image of God. Christ Jesus, the perfect image of the invisible God, chapter 1, verse 15 of Colossians. When we're born again, we have a renewal of knowledge. That's when we really begin to learn. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's only when I come into a right relationship with God that I truly begin to learn. Everything else might be helpful and useful in this life, but it won't tend to the glory of God. It won't help me learn God's word. It won't help me walk with God. Because I don't know God. Remember the statement that is made even in, it was prophesied in Jeremiah 31, and this is quoted in Hebrews chapter 8 concerning the new birth, the greater covenant, the new covenant, the New Testament and the blood of Christ. And He said, this is what I'm going to do, verse 10, of, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, said the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. They shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know you from the least to the greatest. It wasn't that we don't need teachers. It's just once we come to know the Lord, we have this word within us. The word is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That's the word of faith. That if thou shalt believe in thine heart the Lord Jesus and shalt confess with thy mouth, God that raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And then the word is placed in our heart to take up residence. The Spirit of God dwells within us. The knowledge of God is within us. We have, back to chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, verse 16, we have the mind of Christ. We can now think Christ's thoughts after him. We open his book and I can learn to think like Jesus. I can learn to love like Jesus. I can learn to be holy like Jesus. He 
As it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Renewed in knowledge, the word's written in our hearts. It doesn't mean we don't need to progress, we don't need to advance, because what did Peter say? As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. But we've got our start. First Peter chapter 1, verses 23-25 through 25, teach us that we're born again by the Word. The instrumentality of the Word. The Spirit of God is always with the Word of God. And that instrumentality brings us to the new birth. And now we have it within us. And we can learn it. We can grow in it. We can hide it in our heart. Because we're no longer rebels. Well, look also... In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, we need to read all of this, where it said, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto the lasciviousness to walk, work all uncleanness with greediness. You've not so learned Christ. You've learned Christ. If so be that you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, see, we've been taught the truth. The moment we're born again, there's truth that resides within us. We're taught by him. We're not going to have to say one to another, know the Lord, because we'll know him. We'll all know him. We just have to grow what have we been taught? That you put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And listen to this. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So there's a process. Not only do we have ourselves changed within, given the knowledge of God, given the word of God by the spirit of God, we also have to have our minds renewed. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, remember, we're taught to be transformed, to be metamorphosed, like the caterpillar goes into its cocoon and emerges a gorgeous monarch, a monarch butterfly. We're to metamorphose from the old man and put on the new man. How? By our minds being renewed. By coming to the Word of God and letting the Spirit of God teach us, by letting it inform us, by growing, because the Spirit of God teaches us, directs us, and guides us. There are two essential things. Actually, they're going to be uh, two points. There will be more essential things, but two points about this that are essential. And Lord willing, we'll pick back up next week about our heart in Bible study, but two great things necessary if you and I are going to be taught by the Spirit. And they're both related to prayer. So let's talk about prayer and the guidance and the teaching of the Spirit of God. Chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 15. I want you to notice Paul's prayer. I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love and all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, 
that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Paul says, I pray. I pray that the Spirit of God will come to you and guide you into all truth. I pray that he will work within you, rather, that he'll give you this wisdom and revelation, that, that he'll drive you to his word and open your eyes so that you can understand, so that you can know what you have to look forward to, what he has called you to, what riches of glory that he's preparing and laying up in store for you, and that you would learn the greatness of his power to those of us who believe according to the work of his mighty power. He says, I pray God will open your eyes so that your heart can learn. And we ought to pray that for one another. We ought to pray it for ourselves. And then look at Psalm number 86. I want us to look at how we should pray for ourselves. Verse 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Lord, teach me. Now remember the Bible's not like any other book. I can't sit down and read this the way I read the Mississippi Market Bulletin. I can't read this the way I read a Louis L'Amour novel. I can't read this the way I read the Hattiesburg American. I can't read this the way I read my book on hermeneutics. Or I should say books. I've consulted dozens of books as I've studied to prepare these lessons. When I come to the Bible, I'm going to have to say, God, teach me. I don't know. Teach me. I have to be willing to submit. I will walk in thy truth. I'm going to have to acknowledge that my heart is pulled many different ways. Many different things clamor for my attention. Many things clamor for my allegiance. Many different things seek for me to love them. And I'm going to have to pray, God, unite my heart to fear thy name. I'm going to have to pray, teach me. You give me a heart that is appreciative of your truth. Look at verse 18 of Psalm 119. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy life. Two things. Number one, open my eyes. Number two, enable me through my eyes being opened by you to see the wonders of your life. Now I want you to think with me for just a moment. If you're like I am, you're going to come to your Bible and there are certain things that are quite tedious. For example, the first nine or ten chapters of First Chronicles, there's more begetting mentioned than anything else. Just genealogy after genealogy after genealogy. You can understand why Paul would talk to Timothy about endless genealogies. They just go on and on and on and on and they outlast the energizer book of Exodus. That's interesting. 
his history. You get to Leviticus and your feast and sacrifices and holiness, cutting and dietary laws and whole thing. You know, you got insomnia, take two chapters, you'll wake up in the morning. That's Leviticus. But do you know what God can do? He can change that ho-hum heart and open your eyes to the whole wondrous things out of his law and Leviticus becomes exciting. You think about that. Pray, God, make the most tedious, boring-seeming parts exciting by opening my eyes to see how wonderful it truly is. By the way, who is the happy man in Psalm number one? The one who delights in the law of the Lord, in his law that he meditate day and night. Part of what David was talking about was Leviticus. The man who takes pleasure. I see the wonders of God's word. God, open my eyes and help me see more. Let's see. Verse 26 and 27. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts, so shall I talk of thy wondrous works. That's verse 27, rather. He begs in verse 26, teach me thy statutes. Teach me, Lord. Give me understanding. The farther I go, I was saved when I was 13 years old, over 36 years ago. I'm now 50 years of age. I've been in the ministry almost 31 years. What I know is that while I've gained understanding, I still have room for understanding. I can never or should never see saying, make me understand. Places that I thought that I knew and understood are still coming to life. Lord, make me Not only that, verse 36, incline my heart into thy testimonies and not to covetousness. Lord, turn my heart the right way. I need the Spirit of God. I need the help of God. I can't turn my heart. We are so full of self-confidence that we're convinced that we can change our mind and we can change our heart. We can change our ways of living. And we put so much effort into it. And we fail miserably. Because we need God and we need the Spirit. Because Jesus himself said, Without me you can do nothing. But Paul said in Philippians 2 and 13, It is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Pray, God, turn my heart away from the pretty little things that capture my eyes. The baubles of earth that are really just rhinestone or paste jewels. They're not real and they're not worth anything. Turn my heart away from the things where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. And incline my heart to your word. Lord, give me grace to count your word as most valuable. And then James chapter 1. And we all know this, and I want to beg you to make a habit more and more of prayer. If you would learn 
prayed. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. You need wisdom. You need understanding. You need to know God's word, and we all do. Ask of God. Number one, he gives liberally. God is extremely generous. Number two, he doesn't upbraid. In other words, God's not going to fuss at you and scold you and chasten you for asking for wisdom. He'll give it. He'll teach you bountifully. That's his promise. Pray. See. Understanding is not beyond reach. It is attainable. It is freely available. I have to apply myself. I have to come. I have to meditate in the law day and night. I have to pray. I have to read. I have to study to show myself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But every effort in the world is only blessed with success, knowledge, and understanding if the Spirit of God blesses and guides. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Brethren, pray the Holy Mount will be scattered, showered all around. You think about that. We need to pray. Pour that into my heart. Knowledge in my head. Knowledge in my heart. Enlighten my eyes. Open my eyes. Make me understand. Unite my word to honor and to please and to fear you. Teach me. Help me value your word above everything. God, I can't understand apart from you. And the thing is, is if I can't understand apart from God, I can't help anyone else. Only when I have learned, can I be a blessing to others? Ignorance is a hindrance. And spiritual leadership and teaching in the Word of God is a glorious blessing. Brothers, pray, pray, pray. If I could do one thing in all of my ministry, I wish I could go back and have made what I know now and learned the lesson of humbling down. Pray and pray so much more than I ever did, and even more than I do now. God bless you, brothers.